Well, welcome back to our series in the book of Revelation. We've been traveling through Revelation now uh, for a number of months. And uh, some of you have been with us that whole journey. Some of you have caught a, caught a glimpse here and there. Some of you, this might be your first time here this morning. And the only association you have with Revelation is a badly done movie, a poorly written book, some scary conversation you had with a friend growing up, or maybe a long history in uh, being um, quite enthusiastic about this. I don't know what your background is, but the book of Revelation might be uh, new to you or it might be old to you. We've been traveling through this amazing uh, story, this amazing letter, this amazing prophecy, and have been growing and learning together as a community. And today, we are coming, uh, we have come really to the end of a significant section in the book of Revelation. We've been, we've been going pretty hard We've heard seven messages that Jesus has shared with seven individual churches written to uh, what's in now modern Turkey, but churches that were throughout the Roman province of Asia. We've been hearing Jesus' words to these individual churches, and it was kind of like a, a preface or a cover letter to the rest of the letter of Revelation. We've been hearing Jesus speak to these churches. And and so here at this transition, just before we go into the next section, I thought it would be helpful for us to really take a moment and kind of pause and reflect and to kind of recollect where we are and where we've been. To look back and see where we've come. It's good to do that. Especially considering it's been a pretty rapid fire, pretty intense uh, journey so far, hearing the words of Jesus to the church and hearing the words of Jesus to us. We've been taking a lot of challenge. I've talked to a number of you who've been really challenged in significant ways and are grappling with how does that actually work out in my marriage or how does that actually work out in my relationships or in my workplace? Uh, what is Jesus saying to me personally? How is Jesus speaking to us as a church? And so I hope this morning we'd be able to sort of stop, take stock of what we've learned, what we've heard, kind of where we've been, what God is saying and doing in us. And so that's what I want to do with you today. I'd like to actually just share, it's going to be a bit of a different uh, message, because I want to share with you some of what I've been learning so far, Revelation 1 through 3. And, and I'm hoping that you might be willing to share some of what you've been learning. <laughs> Maybe here, as we've gathered Sunday morning, uh, maybe uh, for the many of you who've been traveling in a connect group this fall and you've been meeting in the following week and grappling further with the particular message that Jesus was sharing, maybe there's something you've been learning or something that surprised you, or maybe just in your own reflection and your reading. And so there is your heads up that there will be an opportunity today to share a bit of what you learned. But before we get into that, I'd like to invite you to listen in to hear again Revelation 1 through 3. Now, you could follow along in a Bible or, 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 or you know, on your phone if you'd like, but I'd like to invite you today not to do that. I'd like to invite you to listen to Revelation 1 through 3, a, a rendition, a summary that's put, been put together as it's read to you, to listen with your ears or maybe even listen, see with your ears as you hear Revelation read. And so I'm going to invite those who are uh, Gary and Jordan and Angelie and I are going to um, read this for you today. It's excerpts from Revelation 1 through 3. Listen to this as we read it. 
of Jesus Christ. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. A revealing of Jesus, the Messiah. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To To him him who loves us and and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and and has made us to be a kingdom and and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom, and patient endurance of ours in Jesus, and in the island of Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Among the lampstands were someone like the son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. To the angel of the church of Pergamum. In Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Sardis. In Philadelphia. In Laodicea, write. Write. Write, therefore, what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again, who has a sharp, double-edged sword. I know your deeds. I know your afflictions and your poverty. I know where you live. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. These are the words of him who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, your perseverance, your hard work. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. You are rich. You remain true to my name. You are now doing more than you did at first. You have a reputation for being alive. But you are dead. You have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You are neither cold nor hot. I know your deeds. 
Therefore, repent. Do the things you did at first. Do not be afraid. Be faithful. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember what you have received and heard. Hold on to what you have. Buy from me gold refined in the fire. White clothes to wear. Salve to put on your eyes. Those Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Behold. Look. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious. Who conquers. Who overcomes. To everyone who wins the victory. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. They will not be hurt at all by the second death. I will give some of the hidden manna. And a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. I will give authority over the nations. I will also give the one the morning star. To the one who is victorious. Who conquers. Who overcomes. To everyone who wins the victory. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. I will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to our churches. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, the Spirit blowing through the churches. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. If you have ears... Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. If you have ears. If your ears are awake. He that hath an ear, listen. 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 Anyone with ears to hear must listen. Listen. Listen to what the Spirit says to this church. Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen to what the Spirit says to us. Listen. Listen. Listen to the wind words, the Spirit blowing through the churches. Thanks to Jordan and Angeli and Gary for stepping up and being willing to do that. Appreciate that very much. And I hope through that you were able to catch up a little bit. For those of you who've been traveling so far, you would have heard bits and snippets. And you know that we really crammed together a lot of what Jesus said to a variety of churches, to a variety of situations. He spoke very particularly into what was going on in that church. Isn't it good to hear that apocalypse unfold? to hear the prophecy again, to, to receive that letter again as Jesus spoke. I want to share with you 
quite quickly this morning, five things that I've been learning from Revelation 1 through 3 so far. We've still got a long ways to go in Revelation. We're going to be going sometime into spring. Flowers will be blooming by the time we're done this letter. You understand. So, but, but let's, let's catch up where, we, where we've been so far. And as I'm doing that, be thinking, what are you learning? What have you been learning? And uh, I hope that you'll be willing to share that with us as a community because it's so good to hear from each other. Well, five things that I've been learning from Revelation so far. The first one is this that Jesus passionately loves his church. This is just over and over again. Even the fact that, that, that Jesus was speaking into the situations of a variety of churches facing a variety of struggles indicates Jesus' love for his church. Uh, two of the verses that really struck me is at the start and, and actually toward the end of Revelation 1 through 3. The first one is found early to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and Father. And just the fact that here at the very start we're reminded that this is the one who's being unveiled. The curtain is being pulled back on Jesus who loves us. Remember how we talked about even the, the translators over the years have struggled because it wasn't really proper, you know, tense and you had a past word and a present word in the same sentence and, you know, grammar people don't like that sort of thing and so they kind of fix it and smooth it over until the translators realize, actually, no, that's what it means. He has freed us past and he loves us present. And, and we come to see this Jesus who loves us and loves his church. The, the, the other verse, of course, that we spoke about quite recently is the challenge we heard right toward the end of the seven letters where Jesus said, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. And I've been learning through this as I've come to this story again and again, as I've heard this letter again and again, about how much Jesus loves his church, how passionate Jesus is to see his church, his people, grow and mature, faithful to him, faithful to, to the mission he's given us, uh, faithful to his grace and his truth, working its way through our lives wherever we are. Whatever the challenges are that we're facing, in our workplace or in our families or in our health, whatever challenges we might be facing in our, in our community, that, that, that Jesus is asking us, calling us, equipping us, giving us what we need to be faithful because he loves us. And so that when he speaks into our lives, you know, sometimes saying things that are really encouraging and we feel just so excited about, and then other times speaking into our lives ways that are, seem really difficult to hear, you know, things that really maybe get to the root of something we've been avoiding or struggling with, to remember that every time that happens, it's because Jesus passionately loves us, that he loves his church. And so my question coming out of that for myself but my question for us today, when we consider Jesus' passionate love for the church, the question I have is, do you know, or maybe more correctly, do you believe that he loves us? You know, right fundamental to the, the basic story of Jesus is that Jesus loves you. That each individual person is loved and valued. And if you're here today and that's news to you, I want, I want, I want you to hear that. That that's, that's basic, that's like absolute core to this story that's unfolding all through the whole Bible that Jesus passionately loves individual people, that he loves you, he values you. But in particular, as we hear Jesus speak to the church, we realize that it isn't just that he loves me individually, and it isn't just that he loves you individually. 
But what we hear is Jesus saying how much he loves his church, his people. Loving them so much that he's willing to step into the mess. Step into the lives and even speak some really strong words. And also to look and see the struggle and and encourage. It's because he loves us. And so the question is, do you believe that Jesus loves us? Do you believe that he loves us as his church? We as the people of God. That, that somehow his love for us and his love for his people, and of course, that's not to the exclusion of anyone that, that's sort of not here or not part of the church. Of course, he passionately loves them and he's drawing them, but that, that he has a, a heart for us. as the Erickson Covenant Church. That he loves us. And, and that somehow understanding that when we gather as his people and we, and we worship him together and when we lean in and we pray for one another and when we're involved in each other's lives and we're, we're supporting one another, that, that we're expressing the love that Jesus has for us. And we're, it's kind of foundational to how we're living and how we're serving and how we're worshiping. That Jesus loves us. That he passionately loves his church. And that forms in my heart a love for the church as well. Well, that's the first thing that I've been learning again, being reinforced. The second thing that I've been learning is that Jesus is here with us. And this is particularly meaningful, I think, as we see this unfold in this letter of Revelation, because we begin to see that some of the churches, at least, some of these seven churches that Jesus speaks to are in a real mess. And yet Jesus is there, right in the middle of them. I mean, that image of Jesus back in chapter 1, which we heard read, where, where, where John turns to see the voice, and he sees one like the Son of Man, dressed like a high priest, and he's standing in the middle of seven, uh, seven golden lampstands, and a little later on, we're told, we're, we're told how to interpret these symbols, and we're told that those seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. And, and, and we have this idea that these lampstands are sort of scattered, and he's right there in the middle of these churches, that Jesus is here, present, in a, a mixed up, muddied up, messed up <laughs> group of Christians. That he's right there in the center. And I'm taking this with me. This is, this is, this is profound. This really, really challenged me because the church, this church, the church in general, the churches you maybe were part of or the churches that you grew up in or maybe you just ran into someday, one day and, and, you, and you weren't terribly impressed, that church... The church might be a mess. Our church might be a mess. But this tells me that Jesus is actually right in the middle of that mess. I find that incredibly encouraging and challenging. When we see that Jesus refuses to abandon his church, though there are many Christians who seem to interpret church being part of a community that holds you accountable and where you get around God's Word and you serve together and you reach the community together, that being part of His mission and part of His people is sort of an optional spiritual add-on when you have time for it, if it's not too inconvenient. But that's how church can be interpreted. And in fact, there are some, you know, friends, who follow Jesus but have sort of given up on the church. Maybe because the church that they were part of was a real mess. And they've abandoned the regular gathering with God's people to worship, to serve, to pray, to be the church because, frankly, the church is so messy. 
And I'm so thankful for this image. I'm so thankful for this picture of Jesus standing in the middle of a bunch of messy churches. Not on the outside. Well, at the end of the story, we have that contrasting image. But, but here we have Jesus speaking right from the center. He's not sort of way up in the sky somewhere. He's right in the middle of a messy church. And it's from there he speaks. And so the question I have for us is, do you believe that Jesus, the risen Lord, not some dead guy from the past, but the risen Jesus Christ is present here among us, present by his spirit. Do we believe that he's here? And do we believe that when we, when we meet together, yes, in this setting, for sure. But when we gather together, maybe in our connect groups, or we gather for coffee together, we, we run into each other on the, on, on the street or in the grocery store, do we believe that as we bump into one another, we realize that Jesus is present here in our community as we reach out to one another, as we pray together, as we serve, that Jesus is present? Do we believe that here at the Erickson Covenant Church, Jesus if the curtain was truly pulled back and we could see, it would be somewhere between Andrea and Dwayne, right there. Right in the middle of the church. As we gather and we worship. Do we believe this? That he's speaking words of encouragement to us. He's challenging us. He's calling us. Because he loves us. And he is not going anywhere. Well, <clears throat> that's challenging to me. I'm just carrying that with me. I'm, I'm letting that affect the way I'm thinking about the church. Third thing is that Jesus reveals himself to us. Revelation, as we have repeated you know, ad nauseum since we started this thing, means apocalypse, which, if you travel for any amount of time, you know, is apocalypse a bad word? Does it represent something terrible that's happening? Should we ever use that word again to describe a storm or a market crash? No. You will catch it from now on, won't you? Whenever a newscaster or a friend says, oh, that's going to be a real apocalyptic storm, you say, what? What's it going to be revealing? What's going to happen? Who's going to, who's going to show up because of the storm? And they look at you like you're crazy. But, you know, you realize that this is a misuse of the word. Apocalypse means the pulling back of a curtain to reveal someone, Jesus, who is present that you, that you hadn't realized, was hidden from your eyes. It's the breaking through from hiddenness of Jesus Christ. And he's showing himself to us. That's, that's the whole thing that's going on in Revelation. It's why we call this series Jesus Revealed. Because we believe that this is what's happening through this letter, that Jesus is pulling back the curtain so that we can truly see him. And here's the amazing truth that sits behind that, that I want you to hear today. Jesus wants us to know who he is. He wants us to know his character. He wants us to know what he loves and what he hates. He wants us to know what he's concerned about. He wants us to know what keeps him up at night, metaphorically speaking. He wants us to know the kind of things that, that, that really get his heart going and, and, and the kind of things that he's... he's you know, looking at churches and he's realizing, well, there's something going off the tracks. He wants us to know that. He wants us to know his patience, his kindness, his grace. He wants us to know who he is. And through just the three chapters we've gone through, there have been so many different things, a lot of titles, a lot of descriptions given. They kind of pile on top of each other. They have a lot of... You can't see that, can you? It's really small. 
but it's all from chapters 1 through 3. And it's identifying different ways that Jesus is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the great high priest. He's holy. He's true. He's pure. He's wise. He's powerful. He's the first and the last, the living one, the righteous judge, all, ruler of God's creation. All these different ways that Jesus is revealing himself to us. Pulling back the curtain so that we can see him for who he truly is. That's because we don't have a Jesus. We don't have a God who's hiding. We don't have a God who sort of hides back in the shadows and says, try to figure out who I am. I'll toss you a few clues. But really, you know, it's all up for grabs. That's not Jesus. Jesus reveals himself becomes a human, becomes one of us, lives among us to reveal God to us, shows His character, His life, His person, His passion to us because He wants us to know Him. He doesn't want us to be in the dark. And so here's the question that comes with this third thing that I've been learning. Are we willing to see Jesus for who He truly is? Are we willing to let him pull back the curtain in such a way that it actually challenges some of the ways that we've been thinking about Jesus, that we've been thinking about God, things we received from our culture, things we were told from our, maybe our mom and our, our dad growing up, things that we heard maybe from a friend, things we just assumed were true, but we haven't actually let Jesus reveal himself to us. Maybe you're in a place where you realize that, and I haven't really actually done a lot of, like, reading on who Jesus is. I haven't actually really explored that. And, and, and if Jesus wants me to know him, if, if Jesus is actually holding himself out there so that we can get to know who he is, then I need to take that step to let him show me who he is. Not for me to decide in advance this is who he is or me to let some friend from the past determine who he is, but to let Jesus show me who he truly is. To let him pull back the curtain and let Jesus challenge our perceptions. Challenge our, our beliefs and, and see that change, the way we perceive them, how that change our prayers to alter our understandings and reorient our priorities in life as Jesus reveals himself for who he truly is because he wants to. He wants us to know him. Very quickly, the fourth thing that I've been learning is how Jesus speaks directly to us. And maybe this is obvious um, because uh, you know, all, all these things I've mentioned so far have somehow Jesus speaking into our lives. But I was really struck how through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is speaking in the Revelation, the actual text, but also how Jesus continues to speak if we're willing to hear him. Seven times, and, and, and through Revelation, there'll be a lot of things repeated seven times. That's a big number. Um, and we'll see a lot of repetition used and, and a variety of numbers used. Uh, but here, in these first three chapters, we are told seven times some variation of, if we're willing to listen, if we're willing to turn our ears on, if our ears are awake, we need to hear whoops, what the Spirit is saying to us, to the churches. Yes, individually, but to us as his people. Listening is a major, major theme. And it challenges us. As Jesus speaks, are we willing to listen? You see, when Jesus speaks, he is not only revealing himself to us. That is happening. And he wants us to know him. But something else is happening too. Because as Jesus reveals himself to us, as he pulls back the curtain, Jesus also reveals ourselves to us. 
He also pulls back the curtain on our own lives so that we can see who we truly are. You know, that's what he's doing with all these churches, right? He's speaking into their situation and he's actually showing them, especially some of the churches that were living under some kind of delusion. They thought they were rich, but they were actually totally wretched, poor, blind, naked. They thought they were alive, but they were dead. You know, these churches that were, that, that the reality didn't match either what they thought of themselves or what others thought of them. And so as Jesus reveals himself to us, he also shows us who we truly are. Helps us see the truth of our lives, the truth of our situations, the truth of how we've been living, maybe completely contradictory to his desire for us, which is a loving desire, which will lead us to life. And so the question we have when we consider this is quite simple. Will we actually let Jesus speak directly into our lives? This is very serious stuff. Will we allow Jesus to speak to us? To speak to us as families, to speak to us as men and women, to speak to us as his church? Will we let Jesus speak into our marriages and into our friendships, into our plans? Will we let Jesus speak into our struggles, into the places in our lives where we've just, we've just kind of hoped we could leave it to the side and never touch it again? An area in our lives where we've been deeply hurt or wounded. Will we let Jesus speak his word of love, his word of grace, his word of healing into our lives? And last, um, I'm very inspired, you know this, very inspired by this image that we received of opportunity. That Jesus opened a door for us to help people find and follow Jesus. See, I have placed before you an open door, Jesus said. And we worked with this quite a bit, acknowledging, I think, that more than any of the other messages, this sixth message of the seven to the Philadelphian church was the one that fit best our corporate context. All the letters were applicable to us as a church, particularly to us individually. All of them were applicable. But this one, I felt, was the one that most applied to us as a corporate community, as the Erickson Covenant Church. From Revelation 3, 7 through 8, it says, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. We acknowledged I acknowledge that as a church, as the Erickson Covenant Church, we may feel under-resourced at times. We might feel like we do not have what it takes. That yes, Jesus, we know that you want us to reach people. We know that you want us to, to see the people in our lives and the people in our valley and ask the question, how can I help this person find and follow Jesus? How can I help them take the next step? That that is the big door that Jesus has opened up for us, and yet we feel like we have little strength. And if you're a regular congregant at the Erickson Covenant Church, and you haven't heard that message, that's the one I want you to hear, okay? That's the one I believe that we need to hear as a community. So I'm telling you, if you're part of this community, you need to go back and listen to the story, uh, the, the, the message on the door being open. 
Because I think Jesus is challenging us. He's saying, I've set this huge open door in front of you. And the question is, are we going to let our fears for what that opportunity represents, the ways it might challenge us, the ways it might change us, what it means for us financially, what it means for me actually having to offer my gifts to the body of Christ so that Jesus can use them to build up, all the, all the challenges that brings and those obstacles that can be there, are we willing to step over those and go through the door that Jesus, the one who, when he ever he opens a door, no one can shut it, that door? Are we going to walk through that door as a church? I was super challenged by that. And that's the question I have for us as we consider that door. Will we, as a church, walk through that door? Will we let Jesus give us the strength that we need? Will we let him resource us? Will we take hold of the leadership of Jesus and whether he has to drag us through the door or we step boldly in behind him, will we walk through this door of witness and opportunity? Will we offer our gifts to Jesus, placing them like tools in a master craftsman's hands to let him use the tools he's given to each one of us that we call them spiritual gifts to actually build up his church so that we can more and more effectively help people find and follow Jesus? Will we step up our financial giving, particularly for some of us who have not yet given what we should be giving. Will we step that up so that Jesus can continue to grow us as a church, so God can continue to find the people who are far away, who don't know about the hope and the life there is in Jesus, to equip us to be the kind of community that he's calling us to be. Will we let Jesus move us forward in faith, or are we going to flounder in front of the door? That's the challenge and the question that we have. So those are five things I've been learning. Five things I've been challenged by as we've traveled through Revelation so far. There's other things, but those are the five that I felt stood out the, the most to me. Well, now I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to know Maybe, maybe it's uh, following up on one of these five things that have been mentioned. That's totally fine if you like to make a comment or, or add something to it. Maybe there's something else that you've been learning or challenged by. It doesn't, not, it doesn't need to be long or profound. You know, it can just be a simple statement. Don't feel any pressure around that. But if there's something that you've been learning that you'd be willing to share with the church, with the community, with everyone who's here today, we would love to hear you. Can everyone say... We'd love to hear you. Yeah, yeah, did you hear that? Everyone would love to hear what you have to say. <laughs> so Ethan's going to walk around with a microphone, a, a, a wireless uh, microphone, and we'd ask you to speak into the mic for two reasons. One, so that everyone here can actually hear what you're saying and benefit from what you've been learning, but also so that it makes it on the recording and those who listen to it later don't just have a bunch of blank space in there. So what have you been learning so far? Who would like who'd like to break the ice and start start sharing? Um, I hear the challenges of Jesus and, and all the things that you said, so I agree with all that you put up there. But I think an additional thing for me, um, and you brought up a lot of them, I think it was the third or the fourth one, um, where at the beginning he's always saying, I'm the first and the last, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, right? For me, those statements have given me this really strong feeling that I got this, that God has 
it's it's like he sets it out at the beginning every time and it's like this is who i am and i got this and then he tells you you know after that so for me i've learned um well it's brought up a lot of like strength and solid sort of trust and and i don't know if that makes any sense at all beautiful thank you and ethan brad right here yeah Brad changed his mind, no? Now he didn't. No, I've I just been feeling that um, as we're walking through that door, i just been feeling more and more compelled that it's important, dis- discipleship is, is important, and walking with people is important, not just showing up here, because if we just show up here, we're just spectators. And, I mean, it's just a... It's great to hear the music and, oh, praise Jesus. But if we're not discipling and walking with people, that's, that's it. That's discipleship, you know. And it's hard, especially for me, because really I'm, I'm more introvert, introverted than I am extroverted. So even me getting up and saying this is, is a hard thing to, to do. So, And I don't know. I just feel very strongly about that right now. And... and I just keep praying, Holy Spirit, give me the strength to do it because I don't have the strength to do it. So, anyways, just some encouragement. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. Well, for me, it's uh, it's been a journey of learning to uh, relinquish control of my own life. And uh, I find my experience has been that God's provision has been awesome, whether it's emotional, spiritual, or financial, his provision is there for us when we, we can do that. Thanks, Wayne. Hands up high so he, Ethan, Ethan can see you. Um, for me, it's really going back to, well, there's, lots, there's so much. It's been a really good journey for me. I've never spent so much time in Revelation, and I didn't really understand it. So... Thanks for challenging me because I thought, oh, here we go. This is going to be horrible. <laughs> and Who else thought that? Hands up. Yeah. I'm sure I'm the only Thanks one, that. Tom, that thought that. But um, just going back, remember your first love, right? So in those moments of chaos and you know, you're ready to throttle your children and everybody around you, you know, like, and work is crazy and life is crazy and just to stop and remember my first love in the midst of all of that and... And that in the midst of all that, he's right there. He knows where I live. He knows where we're standing with our struggles. And he knows where we're standing with our successes. And he knows where we're standing in our relationships, in our friendships, in people's marriages. And he knows and he cares. And uh, and just a reminder, generally, not so much for me or this church, but you know, looking out in the world that there's so much judgment that these messages were for people who know him. Mm-hmm. You know, not just reminded how much, like, you know, you see on social media, you see everywhere all the judgment, and, and that's not what we're called to do. And so it was a renewal to me that, you know, his lessons and his discipline, and that's for us who know him. And for those who don't, we're just called to love them where they're at and leave it be. Thanks, Becky. Anyone else? Love to hear a few more. Do not be shy. This is a very... I speak to this group every week, and they're great. (laughs) Who else? 
Tim. Oh, go ahead, Jesse. Yeah. I've been super challenged with the uh, the kingship of Jesus, just trying to imagine and enter into the world of these churches and the pressures they face. Who's my Lord, Jesus or Caesar, and the cost that would have uh, come to them to make that decision and make that stand. And it's, it's pretty easy to be controlled by what other people are going to think of me. And when that comes into clash with uh, my, I guess, allegiance to Jesus, it's pretty easy to uh, throw that on the back, that back burner. So just been challenged with that. They went through it. It was super tough for them. And, uh, yeah, I've just been challenged to to resolve that allegiance and seek his strength in that. So, Thanks, Jesse. And Tim over there, Ethan, over by the sound booth. Yeah. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say other than I think that it's, uh, it's uh, really trusting to be able to just allow God to to change the people around us and not expect it to be us to do it, but that God will do it. We just have to pray for the people around us. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Awesome. Good word. Anyone else? Val? Up here, Ethan. I saw that pen. <laughs> Thanks. I come from a little different uh, uh, direction. Having seen what he has revealed in what he calls himself, looking back in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. um, how he orchestrated history with all the sin that was involved, with all the people in, in, in the world, and he orchestrated it to come out and be able to say something at that appointed time. Mm-hmm. To me, I found that just an overwhelming sense of trust that no matter what happens, no matter what is going on, that Christ can still reveal himself in and through people and through history, no matter what is going to come. So that was, that was just awesome for me. Thanks, Val. Anyone else? Some of you just love to get the last word, so now's your opportunity. Anyone? Okay. Thanks, Ethan. I do encourage you to, you know, take an opportunity to to share with others maybe some of what you've been learning. Well, next week is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent uh, is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, the season where, very simply, we just get ready for Christmas. It's part of the church calendar. And through the, 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 the season of Advent, through the Sundays, first Sunday, second Sunday, third Sunday, fourth Sunday of Advent, we walk toward the celebration of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, where Jesus became a human, became one of us, to live among us, to be there for us. And so Advent is, is all about that. Uh, we look forward to celebrating the coming of Jesus the first time, remembering his coming. And together we anticipate his future coming in fullness when, uh, to quote Revelation itself, at the very end of Revelation, we hear the words that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning 
or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This beautiful picture when evil has truly been dealt with. For Advent, uh, we're going to continue in this new world of the Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ. You see, after Jesus finishes these seven messages to the churches, what we've been kind of calling like personal memos that really set up the rest of the letter which was sent to these seven churches. Remember, just to clear up the confusion, that each individual church would have heard the whole letter, not just the little thing directly to them. That set up the whole uh, Revelation 1 through uh, 22 that they were hearing. Well, right after Jesus finishes these seven messages, something new happens. And I want you to listen to John's own words right at the start of Revelation chapter 4. That's the next section. It says, after this, as in after there's this big revelation of who Jesus is, standing among the lampstands, and then he says, right, and he dictates all those messages to the churches. Right after this, I looked, John said, and there before me was, or behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Through the Advent season, we're going to walk through yet another door as we join in the worship of all of heaven. We're going to let what is called the throne room vision scene, chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, we're going to let this revelation influence our worship of Jesus during our Advent season and during our Christmas celebrations. Our worship leaders have been prayerfully preparing and working on Advent as we consider how can we as a community get ready for Christmas particularly as we worship in response to the worship scene that we experience in Revelation 4 and 5. So here's your invitation as we close today. Take these weeks of Advent, and yes, read through the early chapters of Luke and Matthew, and hear the story again of of, of the shepherds out in the fields, and Mary traveling, and all the amazing nativity story. But somehow... Would you overlay Revelation 4 and 5? Would you read those just two chapters? There's a lot of singing, a lot of worship, a lot of, a lot of uh, poetry in there. Would you read those two chapters and let them kind of percolate in your imagination, in your minds, in your, in your hearts as you work and as you drive through the valley and as you go about your daily tasks, taking care of your kids. Let this vision of God that we receive in Revelation 4 and 5 affect your worship of Jesus during our Advent and Christmas season. That's our hope and our desire. That we would, as a community, worship Jesus as he's revealed and as he's worshipped in Revelation 4 and 5 as we celebrate communion. So come, prepare this Advent season to truly worship the God who is sovereign over all, the Jesus who is the slain land, who is worthy of all praise and glory and honor as we get ready for Christmas. That's your invitation. Let's pray together. Jesus, I am so thankful that you love us that you love us individually, 
that you passionately have pursued us, whether we have been far away, whether we are nearby, whether whatever spiritual journey we are on, that you love us, that you know us, and that you love us as your church. That when you look at us in our muddy, with our muddied mess at times, when you look at us and you see what we're struggling with, you just look at us and you love us passionately. I pray today that your love for us would ignite us. Ignite our hearts. Ignite our action. Change the way we think, the way we serve, the way we live. And as we go today, I ask that you would send us in the power of your Spirit to be your people, to take that next step of faith, to follow you where you lead, trusting you, our good God, our good King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.